The following is a midnight entertainment presentation. It's time for 30 minutes of sci-fi, 30 minutes of fantasy, 30 minutes of TV, movies, and pop culture. It's time for 30 minutes of geek. This week, it's part two of our look at 75 years of Batman's legacy in comic books. Artist Steve Newton returns to talk about the Dark Knight's rogues gallery, the evolution of Robin from Boy Wonder to Nightwing, and Batman's team-ups with the other DC heroes. And now, he's not our hero, he's a not-so-silent guardian, a watchful protector, the host of 30 Minutes of Geek. Here's Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome to the show that's growing faster than the zombie outbreak in a George Romero movie. It's 30 Minutes of Geek, and I am your host, Jim Yelton. And it's exciting every episode. We look at the facts, we look at the figures, and we see that we're getting listeners from the United Kingdom and Canada and Australia and all across the United States. As they say, coast to coast and border to border, we are growing by leaps and bounds every single episode. And we want to thank you guys for listening, and thank you as well for spreading the word about 30 Minutes of Geek, and hopefully 2015 is going to be even bigger and better. In fact, if you've been paying attention to our Facebook page, you know that we've been teasing. There's some exciting opportunities that we've got coming up in 2015 and some tremendous growth that we have on deck, and we're really excited to share those things with you as soon as we finalize details. And in fact, check out the website for updates. You can go to midnight-entertainment.com. We're going to talk about some of the events and some of the exciting new things that we've got coming up in the new year or you can like us on facebook at 30 minutes of geek on facebook and get all of the information about 30 minutes of geek and midnight entertainment we've got for fans of the swindlers of doom we've got a new 15th anniversary edition that's going to be coming out around the first of the year as well as our superhero series that's going to be kicking off extraordinary will be we're shooting for a spring launch for extraordinary so make sure and stay tuned to the website for information about all of that and we also have a tour that we're going to be doing to support both the publishing side of midnight entertainment and 30 minutes of geek live so there's lots of live shows and convention appearances that we have on tap for 2015 in fact we can officially announce that we will be guests at mid-south con in memphis in march and that's going to be exciting so hopefully we're going to be doing uh some live podcasts podcast recordings with the audience there at Mid-South Con, as well as some panels and discussion about both the Swindlers of Doom and Extraordinary and some of the other stuff we've got coming up in the new year. So stay tuned to the website for all of that, and we will give you information when we have it. This week, it's a special episode of 30 Minutes of Geek because it's going to be supersized. You get an extra portion of geek this week because we have artist and hardcore Batman fan Steve Newton returning to talk with us in part two of our discussion of 75 years of Batman and the comics you know when we started putting this show together with steve we realized that we had so much that we talked about i think i referenced in the first part that we actually talked about batman for like four or five hours and we covered the comics and tv and all of the various movie incarnations and in breaking it down into the various segments this was the one that it kind of outgrew the 30 minutes that we had for the show so we decided instead of trying to cut stuff out we would just give you a supersized episode this week steve and i talk about the dark knight teaming up with other heroes in the dc universe both world's finest brave and the bold all of the various teams that he's been on over the years and we also talk about the one major thing that makes batman unique above all other characters in the modern era and that's a sidekick robin the boy wonder but we kick things off looking at batman's bad guys his rogues gallery oh, it's is second the, to none. I mean. The best collection of villains. Mm-hmm. Top to bottom. Oh, yeah. If, 
you look at some of the other collections of villains, Superman's Rogues Gallery or Spider-Man's, you've got maybe a handful of really good villains. Mm. And then when you get down to like the second and third tier villains, there's a steep drop off. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man can hang his head on the Sinister Six. Mm-hmm. Is usually a handful, four or five of the really good Spidey villains, and then they, there's always like that one or two that, that they're not quite uh, as good. The drop-off for Batman's rogues gallery from the best, which I think everybody would admit is the Joker, sure. to probably the lower-tier villains in the Batman universe, it's more of a steady decline. It's not There's not a drop-off. Right. Yeah. No, and that's true. Even, even some of the more lame villains are still pretty cool. Tweedledum and Tweedledee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, well, I, think I reserve the... judgment on some well, of them. Sure. I'm not going to say they're all cool. Right, no. But you go beyond... I mean, let's... Even if you do, like, the Mount Rushmore of Batman villains, mm-hmm. which... It's Joker, Catwoman, Penguin, Penguin Riddler. Two-Face, probably. So Yeah, yeah Two-Face is probably bumping up against those top four. Mm-hmm. That's a good solid five. Okay, then who else do we have? Oh, gosh. Mr. Freeze. Freeze, which be- actually became a great villain with the animated series, which we'll talk about later on. Yeah. But Mr. Freeze. Yeah, Mr. Freeze in the comics. Clayface. Clayface 1, 2, and 3. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, every version of Clayface was a good villain. Yeah, and, and different enough from each other to be distinctive. Uh, um, Killer Croc. Killer Croc. Is a villain. He's a, yeah, he's a great villain. The comic book version of of Bane is much better than either movie version of Bane. And I always hate having a discussion about Bane because everybody <laughs> says, Really? The guy from the movie? <laughs> right. Although, although I will disagree with you about the, the Dark Knight Rises version of Bane. I think I much prefer over the comics version. Yeah, okay. Well, Character, we'll Characterization-wise. but From a, a villain standpoint in the comics, mm-hmm. I mean, Bane's a good villain. Oh, sure. Even get beyond the pedestal they put Bane on by having him be the guy that broke Batman's back. Oh, yeah. Even before that, after that, he was still a good villain. Yeah. He was still a good part of the rogues gallery. Oh, yeah. Well, and then, then you have a character that, I mean, movies aside, Ra's al Ghul is, is, yeah, is and, one of the all-time great great villains for Batman. Is, is not nearly as old as some of the other ones. Uh, yeah, and one of those characters that for a while was not used. Uh, very if, much. If at all, but I mean, even when he was used over the years, was not used well, and it seems like maybe within the last 15 or 20 years is really when he came into yeah. his own as a, one of the preeminent villains. When Denny O'Neill created that character with Neil Adams, that first story that they introduced him in is kind of like the Bible for that character. He's, that's that's the best version of that character. And they've done some great things with it in recent years. That first appearance, I think it was in like 72, that was the true Ra's al Ghul. That's, that was what Denny O'Neill envisioned. They got it right. The thing that's good about the Batman villains is the same thing that's good about Batman. And it kind of gets back to something we said at the very beginning of the conversation yeah. about Batman being flexible enough to be used in different kinds of stories and different kinds of settings and, and different historical periods and things like that. Right. And he's been very malleable through time to where they've been able to fit him into whatever the story sensibility of a particular era was. Oh, yeah. And they've changed the villains over the years, too. I mean, the Joker now is not the same character he wasn't. when he was first introduced. Oh, no, not at all. And they haven't changed... It's not like some villains where... It's a different guy. It's been the Joker the whole time, but much like Batman has changed yeah, they're, they're, to fit different reflect, Yeah, reflect the times that those stories are being told in. And, and it's not just the Joker. I mean, they've done that with Catwoman. Catwoman. They've done that with the Penguin and the Riddler. 
And I know you and I had a conversation several years ago where nobody had really done anything with the Riddler in a while. Mm -hmm. And I kind of said that the Riddler would be my guy. Like if somebody gave me a shot of doing a Batman story, Mm -hmm. I'd have to figure out a way to make the Riddler a stone cold, deadly killer and not the jokey guy that he had been for a while. And then lo and behold, like a year or two later, they started doing that with him in the comics. And it it seems like the writers do that every once in a while where they pick whether it's the Penguin or Riddler or... Somebody that's kind of been on the periphery for a while. Yeah. And they say, we're going to make that guy into a Joker-level villain. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make him just as deadly to Batman as the Joker is. Oh, yeah. And I, it, along those lines, and I, this is not off, you know, this is kind of off the topic of the comics version, but who does a really good job with that, specifically with the Riddler, is Paul Dini in the, two, the first two Arkham games if you've ever seen or played mm-hmm. That's the perfect Riddler because he's not, you know, stage front, you know, doing stuff. He's all right. doing everything behind the scenes, and he's a danger and a threat to the city as a whole, and Batman probably, too, if he steps in the wrong, you know, context, which, but he's kind of a cross between a nuisance and somebody that you've really got to take seriously. So them handling the Riddler that way and in and, and the animated series, too, those are really good versions of the Riddler. Anything that gets him away, away from the, the, the green types of the, the question marks, I'm all for I tried breaking the rules I've tried stealing his jewels But he's always on the case And I got a burned face Well, we gotta take him down now Cause he's always getting in the way I'll give him such a big down Yeah, you break his back, baby episode of 30 Minutes of Geek is sponsored in part by John Thornton's exciting series of science fiction adventure novels, The Colony Ship Eschaton, A Dying Earth, Dangerously Unproven Technologies, and Two Adventurers Making a Last-Ditch Effort to Find a Long-Lost Colony Ship and Save Humanity. Begin the exciting 10-book series with the first novel, Recovery of a Colony Ship by John Thornton, available in print or for your Kindle at Amazon.com. Let's return to more 30 Minutes of Geek. Here's Jim Yelton. If you're enjoying all the Batman theme music as our bumpers this week, that's from the Piano Guys and their new track, Batman Evolution, off of their new album, Wonders. And you can check them out on iTunes or go to their website at thepianoguys.com. For segment number two this week, Steve and I are going to touch on something that makes Batman unique amongst all of his modern-day contemporaries in the superhero genre, and that's his sidekick. For decades and decades and decades, Dick Grayson was Robin the Boy Wonder, and then he grew up, became Nightwing, and DC Comics decided to new coke Jason Todd into the role of Robin before he was eventually replaced by Tim Drake and... Now we have Damian Wayne, who's Robin. So let's find out what Steve thinks about the original superhero sidekick. Sidekicks were really big 
in the golden age. And, sure, and because of Batman. Because of Batman. But how big of a deal is Robin to you? Very big. I'm not sure that if Robin hadn't been introduced, that Batman would have lasted a whole lot longer than he did. Because the, the pre-Robin Batman, if anybody ever has a chance to go back and read some of the, the, the pre-Robin golden age stuff, Batman was kind of an asshole. It was good. I mean, it was cool. I liked yeah. it. I mean, he, he, he carried guns. He was dropping people off of roofs. He was hanging them with his lasso. He was drop kicking their necks till they broke. It, it, was, it was vicious. But even beyond that, from a storytelling standpoint, Robin was a great addition because not only did it humanize Batman enough for parents groups to not come down on the character as much as they were for being so vampiric, but storytelling-wise, it meant that Batman had someone to talk to instead of going into a lot of really clumsy expo- expository uh, dialogue or thought balloons or captions or whatever he could talk he could he could make his plans verbally with his partner now holmes needs watson yeah exactly and and batman needs robin right maybe not all the time but he does need that humanizing factor to him otherwise he really would be over the edge and it it made him a more noble character even visually i still prefer the long-eared black cape gun-toting batman but he wouldn't be the same character without robin robin really helped make batman a noble hero that has come down to us today Robin saved Batman from probably being discontinued, really. In real life. In real life, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I started reading comics, much like you, that late 70s period was kind of the period where Robin was starting to grow into more of an adult character and was leaving the kid sidekick trappings behind, even though for a while there he was still Robin. Right. We're we're talking about Dick Grayson Robin. Yeah. They were telling more adult stories with him within the pages of Teen Titans, Mm -hmm. and he had a life outside of the Batman comic as well. And really the first character that I can think of that had that kind of evolution, aside from Spider-Man, who was always the same character, but you'd see him growing up, you know, know, being in high school, going to college, getting a job, being a teacher. But Dick Grayson changed identities and became an an adult hero. And and I remember when that happened. Yeah. To me, as a kid reading the comics, Mm. and and I wasn't like hardcore reading it every month, but I kept abreast of what was going on, and I read DC stuff every once in a while, and I remember thinking, that was pretty cool. It was pretty ballsy. And yeah, and I I was like, wow, he kind of told Batman to shove it. It's like, I'm tired of just following your orders, you know, this is a partnership, and it's got to work both ways, and Bruce didn't want to change to fit Dick, so Dick was like, screw you, I'm going to go off and do my own thing, because I don't don't have to be Rob. I can go be somebody else. And him becoming Nightwing, I remember it was such a big deal to me as a reader. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. he can do that? He can. He, he, bro- he broke the rules. I mean, yeah. I mean, not just with Batman, but for comics in general, he, he became a completely different character. What was nice about that, too, is that it was a continuation of the sort of like the, the rebirth of Batman in the early 70s, getting away from the TV show camp, is that his rift with Dick Grayson also marked a, a personality change for Bruce Wayne himself that is still reverberating down today. He sometimes has a partner, but he prefers being alone. That all started with Dick Grayson. You had to tell him to, t- to shove it. So, And then let's go to the aftermath of that, because obviously Dick went off on his own and became Nightwing. And from a Batman standpoint, I don't know that I ever read the transition when Jason Todd first came in. I mean, I know kind of what happened, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I ever saw what Batman's thought process was. If it was like, I just need to have somebody as Robin, or 
if it was just kind of like Jason Todd was so annoying and, and just badgered him into doing it. Because I, I can't imagine that Dick packed his bags and moved out of Wayne Manor right. and went off on his own, and then the next day Bruce was sitting there going, well, i got to go find another Robin. No. Now, see, the Jason Todd character has gone through a couple different retcons, and his lifespan too i remember i had a subscription to batman detective comics when that character was first introduced back in 83 which coincidentally was also the, the first storyline for killer croc uh, as a matter of fact their stories intertwined the first version of jason todd i think the reason they retconned it was because he was too much like dick grayson he was a circus kid and killer croc killed his folks who were also circus kids that were uh, dick grayson was friends with them and all that which is how they were involved but so is your recollection of when they brought jason todd in and started going down that road of him becoming the new robin yeah. is your recollection that he was as annoying as everybody seems to think hindsight being 2020 because i think everybody has this general consensus feeling now like oh jason todd was just this annoying whiny not dick yeah he wasn't dick grayson therefore we didn't like him was the character really that bad when they brought him in i don't think so like i said he, he was kind of a, a dick grayson clone anyway at least at the beginning and as a matter of fact, when, when they first brought him in and he took on the psychic role, it wasn't as Robin. It was it was some different kind of costume that was never even given a name until Batman gave him the Robin suit. But that version of Jason Todd, I don't remember really having that the attitude problem because I think that came along when they changed up his background, became like the street urchin kid was trying to lift the hubcaps off the Batmobile. I have this theory, and, it, and it's not just somebody replacing Dick Grayson as Robin. Anytime you replace an icon, whoever the replacement is is not going to be as good. No. And nobody's going to like them. When the first great thing had to stay in the sun, like Dick Grayson as Robin, I think that adjustment period when he, when those people aren't there anymore, and you kind of get used to, okay, well, that's not ever going to come back. And then something new is introduced. It might be, it might be off-putting at first, but you've had some time to like, okay, well, maybe we'll get this chance now. Jason Todd replaces Dick Grayson, and the fan hatred of Jason Todd is such that when DC Comics and their infinite wisdom has a fan vote as to whether Jason Todd should live or die, he could live or die at the hands of the Joker of all people. Perfect. Death in a family, yeah, right? Yeah. So they have like the 900 numbers. You call one number to vote yes, he should die, and the other number to vote no, yeah. let him live. And they had artwork and, to cover both right, votes, it, so yeah. But it was overwhelming yeah yeah it, it, it wasn't even close yeah. yeah and the fact that so many people overwhelmingly called the vote kill jason todd mm -hmm. which they did and then there was that period of time where batman was moody and melancholy and depressed because jason todd died on his watch yeah and then a third robin comes in in the guise of tim drake mm -hmm. and everybody loved tim drake Tim Drake was another Robin, and for some reason, everybody loved that guy. I think it was just because he wasn't Jason Todd, and people had gotten used to the idea of Dick Grayson not being Robin at that point. Yeah, it had been long it had enough. Been a number of years, and they thought, well, Dick's not ever coming back to being Robin. Know that. And so, yeah, he was established in Nightwing long enough for people to be a fan of that. And I think also yeah. the fact that when they brought Tim Drake around, and Batman had kind of been, you know, sunk in that morass of. Uh, melancholy. I think. I think at that point, even readers were kind of getting tired of Batman being that down in the dumps. I think Tim Drake was kind of a nice breath of fresh air. And he was. It made the book fun again. Yeah. Not and that it shouldn't be serious, but it, he was. No, he wasn't depressing anymore. So. No. No. Yeah. And I think you're right because I think at that point 
the audience had had enough of dark, depressing Batman. Yeah. And not that he has to be like all rainbows and puppy dogs. No, that's that's, that's, it, that's, that's not ever going to be Batman. No. Or science fiction aliens Batman. <laughs> right. But he could be a little lighter. And that has always been Robin's purpose, I think. Yeah. yeah. To balance that and give him somebody that makes it a little bit more fun. Oh, you know, definitely. It, it kind of cracks me up when they finally get around to Tim Drake's no longer Robin. They've gone through several different Robins. And then when they make Damien Wayne Robin. Yeah, and Dick Grayson's and, the new Batman. And Dick Grayson is, becomes Batman. Yeah, the personalities like, are switched. Yeah, and it makes the whole dynamic flip-flop. Which is weird. It's and it weird. was weird, but it was kind of cool at the same time. It was an interesting experiment. I don't know if I'd want to see it indefinitely, which they've stopped doing. But That kind of touches on one more thing that I wanted to talk about. It going full circle with Robin. I don't know about you, but even growing up as a kid, in the back of my head, there was always this thought that if Bruce Wayne was not Batman, if he got killed or he got incapacitated and couldn't do it or he just got too old and outgrew it or for whatever reason, if Bruce Wayne was not Batman, Batman was going to be Dick Grayson. They've even on, like there would never be a discussion about it. It would just be Bruce is not Batman anymore. The next day, Dick Grayson becomes Batman. Even when he went off and was Nightwing and they had that rift, I always thought, well, one of these days they're going to do a really cool story where Bruce can't be Batman. Oh, yeah. And Dick's going to come back. And they're going to hug it out. (laughs) They'll have their nice emotional reunion moment. And then Bruce will say, Dick, I need you to be Batman. Here's the keys to the Batmobile. (laughs) And Dick will go be Batman. And that was always my thought over the years. And it never happened, and it never happened, and it never happened. Until they finally did it. (laughs) Yeah. And I got to tell you, two different times. The first time was when Bane broke his back and they did the much reviled Azrael becomes Batman. God, that was terrible. Yeah, and I had no idea why they did that because in my mind, my fanboy mind, I'm screaming, Dick's supposed to be Batman. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how it's supposed to work. Why is this other guy (laughs) Batman? I'd, I'd like to think that that was part of the plan is that, you know, on DC's part, is that, yeah, people expect might expect Dick Grayson to come back into the fold and take over the role, but that would mean that Bruce Wayne didn't have to hurry back. So, you know, you got this Azrael character running around as the nightmare Batman, killing Bane left and right, that Batman, the real Batman, had to force himself to come back, even if he wasn't ready. It was one of those moments where, as a writer, there are times where I know why, story-wise, they do certain things, but as a fan, I'm like, like no, 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 no. Hell? wrong, right. <laughs> what are you doing? But then, at the conclusion of that storyline when Bruce comes back gets rid of Azrael there was a brief period of time where he was like okay I'm back and I'm gonna be Batman but I still need some time to deal with some stuff and he asked Dick to be Batman yeah temporarily and so we had like I don't remember how long it was but it was I, you know, it must have been maybe, very short maybe I... yeah it was maybe three or four months yeah Dick was Batman and they did like one storyline with him as Batman and then Bruce came back and I thought well, that's just a tease. <laughs> After all this time, you gave the Batman mantle to somebody else. Yeah. You screwed up. You shouldn't have done it. It should have been Dick all along, and you're just kind of like, hey, just keep the Batcave warm for me. I'll be back. Right. But then, at the end, it was a final crisis when they, quote-unquote, killed Batman. Yeah. And then we had something that I had been waiting pretty much my entire comic book reading life, which is Dick Grayson finally got to be Batman for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And Assumingly Batman. indefinitely, yeah. Right. Well, from his standpoint. Right, from his standpoint. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that most of us knew that oh, they yeah. were not going to let Bruce Wayne stay dead for a while. No. I mean, that's, that's like not having Superman 
be Clark. But, you know, Clark but Kent. those, like we said earlier, those stories with Dick as Batman, and Damien as Robin, Damien as Robin, were some of the most entertaining Batman stories I've read in a long time. They were good. I mean, I didn't read them all, but the ones I I did, they were yeah, they were fun. This episode of the show is sponsored in part by Ace Designs Media. With hundreds of web design projects under their belt and over 200 happy customers, the Ace Designs Media team knows how to build beautiful interactive websites and they can help with yours too. Whether your business needs a site that will simply wow your customers or you need to add advanced features like e-commerce or blogs, their affordable prices mean that there is no longer any reason to say no to a high-quality, engaging website. So say yes and take the first step towards a new dynamic web presence for your business and visit the Ace website at acedesignsmedia.com. That's acedesignsmedia.com. Do you wonder what Jim is thinking about in between episodes of 30 Minutes of Geek? Check out his blog, 500 Words or Less, at midnight-entertainment.com. Welcome back for segment three of this week's show. One of my all-time favorite interpretations of Batman has to be one of the more recent ones, just because it's just hysterically funny, and it cracks me up every time I see it. If you're not following the guys over at How It Should Have Ended, look them up on the internet, look them up on YouTube, H-I-S-H-E, and it'll pop up. But they do great parodies of how all of the great classic movies should have ended, more recent blockbusters, and they've really done a great job of covering the superhero genre, specifically Superman and Batman. And they've really kind of encapsulated what that relationship is, and it's, it's just hysterical. They've even gone so far as to spin those two off into a separate series from the How how it should have ended series and they've made Batman and Superman the focal point of a super cafe series which is hysterical because if you've seen any of the Man of Steel or Batman how it should have ended you know that Batman and Superman end up in a cafe just having lunch together talking about their adventures and this segment is a perfect example of why I love the how it should have ended version of Batman we are going to be in a movie together I know it's going to be awesome. I have so many questions. Yeah, me too. What's the premise? Not sure. They're making everyone believe it's a versus movie. Versus? Like who would win in a fight? What are they going to call it? Well, there's only one thing you can call it, I say. The Dark Knight Rises. Again. And then beats up Superman. Whatever. Let's be honest. If that's how we're naming this movie, then we should name it Man of Steel, the punch from space that exploded Batman's internal organs. Dot, dot, dot. Or did it? No way! Just call it Man of Steel Total Ponage. Or, because he's Batman. Peace I'm out, I'm Batman! Obviously, Batman and Superman, almost from the beginning... And it goes back to the early 50s. So. We're, we're going to end up teaming up at some point. And I think that that pairing is one of those kind of like magical things mm-hmm. that when people get it right, it just works. It's like Lennon and McCartney and Page and Plant. I mean, Superman and Batman well, deserve to, to yeah. be in stories together. So You know, we're, we're going to talk movies and, and 
we'll most assuredly talk about the upcoming movie, but I've said for years, if DC's going to make their movie universe work, they have to make Superman and Batman work together. Yes. First. Yes. Like, that's got to be that's the, the most basis important element. <laughs> because if you don't get Batman and Superman right, then the interaction with all the other characters doesn't matter. No. And I always love seeing that relationship revisited over the years and, and grow. The classic portrayal of that relationship, and especially over the years, and, and how it's become deeper and more rich. And yeah. and these, these two guys truly are friends, even though they may not always see eye to eye. They may not always understand where the other one's coming from. Right. They understand each other. Mm-hmm and understand what the other person's place in the world is yeah. and, and why the world needs that other guy. There, there's a great example of that, and it was a three-issue, uh, it wasn't really a graphic novel, but it was, it was like a, it was a prestige format miniseries of three issues. Uh, Steve Rude was, I think, the artist. It was fully painted covers and traditional artwork inside, but good artwork. World's Finest was the title. And it was, as it implies, Superman and Batman. It was done in like the early mid '90s, I think, and it perfectly encapsulated their relationship because it was sort of like their first pairing up together, and you know the the, the clashing of styles and all that. But th- at the end, there's there's this beautiful sequence in the last couple pages where, after having worked together throughout whatever the crisis was in the story, you see the, each kind of adopting the mo of the other where, where it needs to be. Like you know, Batman showing up showing up during the day and being sort of sort of yeah. accessible yeah. and you know and not like the nightmarish creature that you know he's been perceived as throughout the, the course of the story but then to turn the corner and then see superman kind of stalking lex luther outside his office just staring at him you know like like something batman would do it was yeah. a great it was a great story anyway but th- yeah they 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 deserve to be paired up with each other as often as possible as far as i'm concerned and you're right if for a movie if batman can't play off of superman effectively and vice versa and believably then It'll never work. You can't have interaction with the other characters. Well, yeah, with the other characters. And and that kind of leads me, you know, from a comic book standpoint. So Batman and Superman have been teaming up, and that obviously is going to lead to them joining the superhero team of the DC Universe, which neither of them were charter members of, which always fascinates me. Yeah, I know. That's weird, isn't it? When they decided they were going to do the queen mother of all team-ups and have this team book... With Justice League, it was everybody but those two. It was everybody but Superman and Batman. It was almost like they said Superman and Batman are so awesome that it would take an entire team of all the other heroes mm-hmm. banding together to equal their awesomeness. Right. <laughs> so we don't even need them. They would overpower anybody else in the book. Which yeah. In some ways, has happened over the years, but eventually somebody came to their senses and said, "Well, if we're going to have a team, it's got to be with the best heroes. It's got to be." the best heroes, and we can't leave out Superman and Batman. What have you thought over the years about Batman's place in the Justice League? Because there have been times when Superman wasn't part of the Justice League, Wonder Woman wasn't part of the Justice League, you know, Green Lantern, Flash, what have you. Even some of the, what were considered like second and third tier Justice League teams, still had Batman. Like, Batman was always the one guy that if the rest of the heavy hitters weren't around... Mm -hmm. Batman was still there. Yeah. It, and, and it seems weird because he's always had he's always, the, you know, the moniker of being the, the loner. loner. Yeah. But he's the one guy that's always kind of like stuck around the Justice League. Well, first of all, it, it, I can't really consider anything the Justice League unless it has the three of them. You know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. 
the best interpretation of that was the animated series they did a few years ago. The Justice League Unlimited was perfect. They got all the characters balanced just right. Batman belongs with all those characters, even though he doesn't have the paranormal abilities and all that. He's the brains of that operation, the tactician. They would have been defeated so many times over if he hadn't been there to save their butts because of his brain. Well, uh, and to play devil's advocate, though, I do think in the Justice League situation, there have been times over the years where they've kind of overplayed that. Possibly, yeah. Where I kind of feel like they've said, Batman's just so much smarter than everybody else that none of these other guys can do anything. You know, they can't even tie their shoes unless Batman's around. I think there are times where it's kind of gotten overblown, and I almost think that they need to pull Batman back a little bit yeah. from from being that guy. Possibly a little bit, but I also kind of think that when it comes to, and this is, I know this is kind of changing the topic a little bit, but I kind of equate what they did with Batman in that series to what they're going to do with the, the new movie. That in both instances, that version of Batman has been doing this for so long that he's that much of an expert at his job. Where like even, even Superman hasn't been around as long as Batman has. In, right. in, that, in that universe, and that all these other characters are, are kind of new at the at the game. You know, not brand new, but but they don't have the experience that Batman has had for in, in that animated universe. I mean, when when did that start? Like two thousand two, something like that. Oh, it was much earlier than that. Ninety seven. We're talking about like the original Batman animated series. No, no, I'm talking about the the, the Justice League series. Oh, the the Justice League series. Yeah, it was probably late nineties. Okay, so two thousand. Yeah, so you, you figure if if that were a timeline. And by the time the Justice League started, Batman had been doing this for 10 years. And Superman had been Superman for about five years. Because if you remember, uh, in the premiere episode of the Superman animated series, there's a dialogue nod to Batman you know, before yeah. Superman's even Superman. So in, in, implying to me that Batman's been active for a while before even Superman hits the scene. So even Superman's not brand new to the game, or he's sort of new to the game. Batman's been doing this for a long time. He's, he knows his shit which is why he, he can call the shots up at the Watchtower. So, uh, yeah, they could dial it back a little bit, but they would they would be kind of lost without him. And, yeah, he, he they can do things that he can't, but if he's directing traffic and all that, then they get the job done. Well, and it seems like in terms of the Justice League, to compensate for him not having superpowers, they've kind of said his intelligence and, and his tactical ability is his superpower. Yeah. So he has to have that over everybody else in the room. Well, and not even just that. It's also his willpower. I mean, he's not going to stop. And see, that to me, more than the tactical sense or his, you know, smarts, you know, it, it's the same thing. I've argued the same thing about Captain America, too. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a similarity to the two characters in the... It, for different reasons. Sure. I mean, it's a little bit darker in Batman's case and a little bit more just heroic in, in Captain America's case. But I, I feel like both of them, their superpower is they're not going to give up. Yeah. And it, as far as fighting somebody, and, and that's why whenever somebody says, well, Batman would not win a fight against Darkseid or, or some of the other... Which he has. Galactic... <laughs> level threat, I always say, well, no, because he's not going to give up. I mean, right. unless they kill him 10 seconds into the battle, mm -hmm. he's just, you could beat him for five minutes and he's not going to give up. Right. You could keep shooting at him. And as long as he has a breath in him, he's going to keep going mm -hmm. and he's going to, he doesn't back up. That to me has always been Batman. Yeah. You, you strip away the money, strip away the utility belt and all the fancy gadgets and even the tactical advantages that he has at times mm -hmm. of being able to outthink people. 
he's just not going to give up. No. And, and to me, that's his superpower. Yeah, definitely. So, 75 years of Batman in the comics. What do you think the legacy is? Wow. We talked earlier about how Joe and Jerry built the sandbox and we're all just playing in it. But I feel like whether it was Bob Kane coming up with the initial idea and everything Bill Finger contributed and guys like Jerry Robinson and Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams from an artistic standpoint or Frank Miller or even some of the stuff Grant Morrison has done recently. Great stuff. There's a legacy that permeates all of comics now. That character has changed comics forever well i I, uh kevin smith said this once on one of his podcasts Uh, i totally agree with this batman's no longer just a comic character he's he's literature he's a mythic figure that transcends the source material for one and his nation of origin for another i mean it's it's like superman it's universal so that's part of his, his legacy but it's also batman can mean anything to anybody it's the the real world equivalent of some of the artists that you know depict stuff in the bad cave that they'll show like every kind of suit he's ever worn throughout the comics including the, including the, the, right. the cheesy stuff in the 50s and 60s you know the zebra suit and the rainbow suit and all that kind of crap but people are going to relate to him more so than a lot of I mean, maybe besides spider-man spider-man is more of an everyman character but batman his origin story is primal we've talked about that before that's a huge part of it, but beyond that, it's, it's sort of like I said before, it's like the phoenix from the ashes. Uh, that somebody that can surmount all kinds of difficulties and be like the best he can be. That's that's Batman. He's he's like the quintessential human. When you need a professional who specializes in writing, photography, or web design, contact Tom Slayton. At Tom's website, TomSlayton.com, you'll find brilliant WordPress themes, discounts and links for fantastic online services, and sage wisdom from the master himself, Tom Slayton. TomSlayton.com even features a wonderful eclectic collection of photographs seldom seen elsewhere. Visit TomSlayton.com. That's T-O-M-S-L-A-T-I-N.com. And now it's time to find out Jim's opinion on the hot topics of the day. It's Jim's Two Cents. If any of you have been following the entertainment news, you know that at the end of November, Sony Pictures was involved in a large hacking situation where lots of emails and sensitive information from the company were released to the public. And one of the most interesting things that was revealed had to do with Spider-Man. In fact, I seem to remember having a conversation about this on a show a couple of episodes ago. The emails involved a back and forth between Sony Motion Picture Chief Amy Pascal and included correspondence with the CEO of Sony and the CEO of Disney. The discussion had to do with the possibility of Marvel producing a new Spider-Man trilogy that would see Sony retain some creative control and marketing and distribution rights to the property. But basically, Sony was going to hand the property back to Marvel, and it was going to open the door for Spider-Man to appear in Captain America Civil War, which is coming out in 2016. Now, anybody that's read the Civil War comic knows that Spider-Man was heavily involved in the storyline and the tug of war between Captain America and Iron Man. Now, even though the situation broke down and Disney ended up not agreeing to Sony's terms, I think that these emails prove the point that I made a couple of shows ago, that Sony is 
desperate to try and salvage something out of their Spider-Man franchise. They've screwed up the reboot. They don't know how to fix it. They thought Sinister Six and building to this kind of Spider-Man universe was going to work for them. And I don't think they realized that The reason Marvel's plan is working is because they've got a wide variety of characters that they could choose from, and they can go in all different directions. The problem Sony has is that they've just got Spider-Man and those characters, which is great for a couple of movies, but you can't constantly keep rebooting Spider-Man, and I don't necessarily know that you can make an 8 or 10 picture franchise out of the Spider-Man property. I think what they should have done is they should have retreated back from their universe building that they were trying to do with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and they should have really focused on Peter Parker and making the best Spider-Man movie they could, instead of having like these grandiose notions of having a a Marvel Universe, but I do think it's interesting that Sony at least was open to the possibility of giving Marvel kind of carte blanche with Spider-Man and working out some sort of deal. And even though this kind of failed, I guarantee you that the lines of communication were open and there's a possibility that we might see Spider-Man in a Marvel movie down the road. Even though something didn't work out now for Spider-Man and an appearance in Captain America Civil War, there's a very real possibility that you could see Spider-Man in Avengers Infinity War or somewhere down the road. They'll figure this out. But of course, that's just my two cents. What do I know? Well, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the show. We want to thank Steve Newton for being our guest and talking about our shared passion for Batman in the comics. We want to thank you guys for joining us. The parody songs that we played earlier in the show were done by the Screen Team. You can find them on YouTube. Just check out youtube.com slash the Screen Team and you'll be able to find all of their parody songs it's it's really good stuff that they've got for rachel the android announcer i am your host jim yelton reminding you that there is nothing in life that can't be conquered with a good utility belt tune in next week for episode 007 as jim is joined by author van allen plexico for a special look at james bond they will each discuss their favorite bond movie featuring each actor to play the legendary super spy from connery moore and lazenby through dalton brosnan and Craig. Find out which films make the cut. And what does Jim think of the latest Bond news? It's all next time on 30 Minutes of Geek. Find out more about Midnight's exciting offerings including a full library of 30 Minutes of Geek episodes, bonus content, blogs, and much more at midnight-entertainment.com. Thirty Minutes of Geek is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>